Tonight, reality hits the U.S. economy smack in the face. You're listening to Simply Money tonight. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Brian James, who's in for Steve Sprovac. Brian, remember when you were back in school and, you know, it was the start of a new year and you were ready and you were going to get straight A's and the report card comes out? Well, maybe it wasn't. A, and You always got straight A's, right? Uh, yes, let's go with that. Since the records are no longer attainable, <laughs> let's stick with that, Amy. Yes, that's a correct statement. Right. Okay. So you, you're going to get straight A's, but that doesn't exactly happen. Well, that is exactly where the U.S. economy is right now. Joining us tonight is Andy Stout. He's our chief chief investment officer for Allworth Financial, guiding billions of dollars from right here in Cincinnati. Andy, as we look at the fact that we thought, or economists thought, going into the third quarter, we were going to have a strong, what, 7% GDP, and then, bam, we fell far short. Yeah, if we're giving grades out, I would probably give this uh, GDP release about a C, Mm. if I'm being generous. So when we look at the big picture of how the economy has evolved over the course of the third quarter, that uh, July, August, September period, like you were saying, Amy, at the very beginning, the expectation was growth around 7%. Now that's a quarter over quarter annualized basis. So comparing the third quarter to the second quarter. But then as the quarter progressed, the Delta variant surged, right? Mm -hmm. Supply chain issues got worse. And where we ended up the the quarter at was a mere 2% growth rate. Surprising to you about that, Andy? It wasn't as bad as I think a lot of people feared. I mean, there were some good things and some bad things in there. Uh, Spending just from consumers dropped a lot compared to the second quarter, but it still did come in a little bit stronger than expected. So there is is some momentum uh, to suggest that maybe spending will pick up here in the fourth quarter. Andy, I feel like we've been we've been talking about supply chain issues all year long, and, and honestly, longer than that. Um, what are the things that you're watching that might show a more permanent change in inflation? We've been talking about supply chain, and we know that's going to get fixed at some point. It kind of has to, and there's a lot of money to be made when it does, so there's economic incentive to fix it. So we assume that's going to go away. But the, are there things out there you're watching that might indicate, uh, you know, that might concern you more that this might be more permanent? Well, when looking at the inflation picture, I mean, elevated inflation is here. It's going to be here for some time. When exactly that ends, no one knows for sure. But what do, what do we look at to see you know, what might make it stickier than what's currently expected? And right now, what's currently expected is probably elevated inflation until at least at least the middle part of next year. So we would be looking at housing prices. Uh, the cost of shelter does take up about 30, it's about a third of the total uh, inflation that's out there. And we have been seeing that uh, kind of stay in this range where it has been. It's not at elevated levels. There's a lot of components of inflation that are high. Uh, Housing is still kind of in a normal level uh, when we look at it. However, it is uh, getting a little bit or it's trending a a little bit higher. So it's not really moving the right direction. So I'd watch housing uh, prices specifically on an aggregate level. Also continue to watch wages because if uh, consumers continue to demand things, but employers can't get anybody uh, to actually fulfill those orders, whether it be services or goods, then what employers are going to have to do, they're going to have to pay up. Right now, there's 10.4 million job openings. And for employers to incentivize workers to come off the sidelines, because it's still a lot, they might uh, have to pay more in wages. And if someone is looking for a job, it would probably be smart of them, in all honesty, to demand a higher wage than what's being offered because employers don't have much of an alternative. 
You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC as we give our nation's economy a grade. And if we were looking at it, well, we were expecting an A, and in fact, we probably got a C. That's according to Andy Stout, our chief investment officer. All right, Andy, so we're kind of talking about the negative things uh, that are in the economy right now, but we're more than halfway through earnings season, and these big, strong American companies are doing just fine. Yeah, from an earnings perspective, that's really what's helped lift the markets. We just closed out the month of October, and it was a really uh, strong month with you know the S and P 500, which is like your 500 largest companies here in the U.S. It gained about seven percent last month. Now I did it better than a lot of other indica- indexes, like small caps did good, but not as well. But overall. What helped to lift these large cap companies is some really strong earnings. And if we look at it from a headline perspective, you know, we're about 56% of the way through earnings season uh, altogether. And what we've seen so far is that 83% of uh, these companies have beaten earnings estimates, and earnings are 38% higher on a year over year basis. Now, that's a lot better, Amy, than what was expected at the start of earnings season when Wall Street was forecasting a 29% growth rate in earnings. So earnings are good. Also, sales are pretty good too. Uh, Right now, sales are almost 16% higher on a year-over-year basis, and that's also better than what Wall Street was expecting. So you know, it's pretty good from an earnings side of things. Andy, you mentioned consumer spending, of course, uh, is starting to drop a little bit. Uh, And one of the things, though, uh, that was highlighted in there is that uh, we spent about 54 percent less on cars than we used to. Is that an indicator, do you think, that that, that people can't afford it? Or are we just looking at the downstream effect of there just being nothing to buy in dealerships? Is that two different questions? No, the answer is the latter. There's just not any inventory for uh, people to actually buy cars. People want to buy cars. Uh, You can kind of see that. But there was a 54 percent drop in the third quarter compared to the second quarter total amount of what was spent on autos and it really just comes down to there's no autos out there the microchip shortage which is you know it's going to last sometime into next year at least uh that's causing uh car uh production and manufacturing to slow down and really kind of just you know come to a halt so that is the primary reason that we're seeing the drop in on the auto side which was a contributor to a drop in spending when we look at the total US economy last quarter Andy, you know, all of these things that we talk about, while you may not be buying cars or you may not be necessarily working for one of these big, you know, uh, Fortune 500 companies, at the same time, they are impacted. Your 401k is impacted by these things. And we talk about what has a huge impact on our 401k. Uh, the Fed, right, our nation's central bank, is expected to make an announcement this week. Talk about that and how you think that might play out. So the Federal Reserve is the, our national central bank, and they're responsible for controlling short-term interest rates to help encourage economic growth and lending in general. Uh, they have two things they really watch for, full employment and stable inflation. Uh, right now, we're not at full employment, but things have gotten a lot better over the past few months. We're, not, we're definitely not at stable inflation. Uh, it's, you can look at anything, and prices seem to be higher than, wh- than where they have been. So what the Fed did at the onset of the pandemic is they began to buy – well, first thing they did was they cut interest rates, short-term interest rates, to basically zero. But they wanted to ha- try to bring down long-term rates as well to encourage economic growth. So they started to buy – 
billions and billions of dollars worth of bonds every month, 120 billion uh, to be exact. And that caused their balance sheet to balloon really large. Now, what they want to do is because employment's gotten a lot better, but inflation's still not feeling great. Uh, they want to try to like pull back some of that stimulus. So what they will do on Wednesday, uh, most likely is announce that they will begin to what's called taper uh, their 120 billion of monthly bond purchase, which means reduce. So they want to get that back to really not adding any new bonds, probably by the middle part of next year. So expect them to announce uh, on Wednesday that they'll start to reduce their monthly purchases and with a goal of having that being completely wound down by the begin by the middle part of next year. Okay, so so Andy, we're, we're kind of accustomed to the idea that the Federal Reserve reduces interest rates uh, in order to to sort of goose the economy and keep it going a little bit. But when rates are already at zero, what might they do if if we felt like we needed a, to fire that bullet again? What would happen? Well, you can't lower past zero, can you? Well, you can. They, they've done it in Europe. I wouldn't put it past the Fed. I don't know if there's any reason to expect that in the near term, since we're obviously uh, with inflation a little hot, the Fed's most likely hiking uh, over the next couple of years, uh, at least based on today's data. Now, if things change, Brian, you know, that's where the Fed will probably reduce rates back down. Uh, and they could go below zero, just like they have in other parts of the world, like Europe. Uh, you, you see that Japan as well. So I wouldn't put it past uh, the Federal Reserve to do that. But they'll also probably re-kick up this quantitative easing or these bond, this bond buying program, uh, which they're in the process or about to at least uh, announce reducing it. So they would just start that back up again, because that has a bigger impact on longer term rates. Sandy, you've got what the Fed is doing right now. You've got GDP numbers that are off of what we had expected. Uh, a lot going on in the economy. What do you think the takeaway should be then for investors? I don't think we need to get caught up in what's happened in this uh, third quarter because what was really responsible for the economy and growth is personal and consumer spending. That represents about 70% of the economy. And the momentum near the end of the quarter suggests that consumer spending should pick back up. We're also seeing the Delta variant uh, drop down. We're, I mean, a, a month or two months ago, we were averaging about 170,000 of new COVID cases a day. It's dropped to 75,000 and it seems to be uh, the trend is uh, lower. So, well, the bottom line is that in spite of, the, I'll call it the economic deceleration in the third quarter, we do expect the economy to turn around forecast currently by economists in the fourth quarter is almost 5%, and it's about 4% in the first quarter of next year. Uh, so when we look at all of this, the economy's in good shape. Yes, it will slow down. Yes, we will eventually have another recession. Uh, and when that does happen, it probably will feel like the end of the economic world to some people. Uh, but that's why it's really important uh, for every investor out there uh, just to make certain that their risk tolerance and their financial goals are aligned properly um, and have that reflected in their investment mix, like your percent of stocks and bonds. That's going to help avoid any costly emotional decisions. Yeah, Andy, no question. A recession certainly hurts all of us, all investors. But at the same time, it's kind of a part of the cycle and one that you know what you're signing up for when you get in. Here's a Simply Money point. The economy didn't quite live up to expectations during the third quarter. But as COVID cases continue to decline and the holiday shopping season ramps up, things are looking promising for these last few months of 2021. And if you can't listen to Simply Money every night, well, subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever 
wherever you find your podcasts. You know, even the rich aren't immune to these supply and demand issues these days. Ahead in three minutes, the latest luxury toy to get caught up in the inventory crunch. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Brian James. Ahead at 643, why you should consider taking a page from Facebook's playbook and consider a rebrand. So if you're in the market for a boat, specifically a very large, very nice, luxurious boat, maybe a yacht, you're facing the same problem that home buyers and car buyers are facing right now. Low supply. Bad news for you, Brian James, because I know you and your family were in the market for a nice yacht. Well, I was, but then I saw your car in the parking lot there, and I thought, darn, she's ahead of me. She's going to get her fourth yacht, so I guess we're just out of luck this time around. (laughs) I do drive a boat. Uh, Definitely not a yacht, though. Turns out dealers have sold out of boats, and some are even sold out until 2023. Um, Just a tough area for retailers until COVID. Um, In fact, even a used sailboat was snapped up sight unseen 12 hours after a dealer listened it listed it in in brian like okay not in the yacht market but we have a much much smaller boat uh and just going to a dealership during this pandemic and they were not even doing uh the boat shows because they could not get the inventory in uh they had no extra inventory to sell people they were selling out a year in advance so this is kind of the market that we're in right now and apparently it goes even to the highest level of luxury yachts it does. It's it's the same problem we're seeing anywhere else. It's, uh, you know, this is perhaps a market that nobody's going to cry too many tears for. If you're in the market yeah. for a yacht, you can probably suck it up and deal with the Sorry other craziness that's coming our way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but right, yeah, these, this is, these are all the same things happening everywhere. It's just another industry. Yeah, well, something that is impacting all of us, politicians in Washington, right? They're hashing out Biden's latest legislation. And one key factor means here, whatever this price tag is, this one comes out to be, right, a trillion dollars plus, it's going to be thrown on top of an already overwhelming deficit. And so, you know, Brian, so we talk about what happens in Washington. It's really easy to get frustrated and want to pull your hair out. But ultimately, you can only control what you can control. Right. And so what we always... uh, Want, want to talk with our clients about and just reminding people that if you're operating off of a financial plan, that's the that's what you can control. You can only control the decisions that you make. You cannot control the decisions that come out of Washington. So, uh, and, and we've had a lot of that lately, haven't we? There's been plenty of stuff coming out of Washington that you might be in favor of, you might not be. We've had a lot of curveballs, a lot of ins and outs. So we've had stimulus checks coming our way, small business loans, and we had those extra unemployment payment coming out. That has actually pushed the deficit to a record high. But let's not forget that that pretty much record highs have been happening pretty much every year since 2001, which was the last time we had a surplus. So while these are scary things, they are not yet to a point where we feel like we're going over the cliff tomorrow. Um, These are the decisions that we're making now uh, in terms of how we're going to pay the bill. So we do swipe that credit card an awful lot. What I always tell my clients to remember is that uh, we can't go over the cliff until there is another country out there who could take our place economically speaking. Uh, and I don't feel like there is any other country out there where uh, the, the, that country's currency could suddenly be considered the currency of reserve. So therefore, we can make a bigger mess than we've made now. We've got some time to run. But yeah, these are things to pay attention to. 
Well, and without a doubt, right, whatever you think about what's coming out of Washington, the fact is Uncle Sam has been spending some major moolah over the past couple of years. And Uncle Sam has the same options that you and I do, right? You either spend less or you bring in more money. And let's talk about on a practical level what that means. So spending less means they cut back on certain things that maybe we all count on. Social Security, right? It's already a struggling program. In 2034, which I know it sounds like a long ways away, but it really is not. Uh, if, if Washington does nothing to change the situation with Social Security, you can only expect, what, three quarters of the benefit that you have been paying in for, that you've been expecting. So that's a very practical way that, hey, if the spending continues out of control and nothing is done, these are the kinds of tough decisions that are going to have to be made. Right, that's a great example. Um, so, so saving on the the but the, the, the federal government has a budget it needs to meet uh, because we've promised people what Social Security will be throughout the rest of their lives. We currently do that by swiping their credit card, which is um, uh, the same same way as if you happen to have a rough month and you're going to uh, spend a little more than you bring in from your salary. Then, yeah, that's uh, then you're going to have to pay for it somehow. At some point, though, you're going to be on a fixed income and you'll have to back off of that. So that's what's happening with Social Security, and there are some there are some some bills uh, that are making their way through Congress that could potentially address this. But that's not new either. Uh, and any yeah. change to Social Security or improvement to Social Security to shore it up has to involve either raising taxes or lowering benefits. Uh, that's the only way the math can work. There are a million ways we can get there. Uh, but unfortunately, where we are right now, we seem to need to uh, give things away and spend more to, to attract people to even talk about it. So, But there are bills out there that could potentially address this. We just need to get everybody to a point of consensus where we could possibly get there. Did you say point, point of consensus? That's crazy. <laughs> crazy talk. No, come on. What are I, you I'm hoping. About? I'm, I'm trying to start the week off on a good note, Amy. I'm really hoping there. I like that. I like that. Positive thinking. I would love for Washington to come to consensus. And listen, while we can get frustrated about what happens there, we can put these politicians on a budget, but you can stick to yours. And there are certain things that you can do in this current environment in Washington uh, to make sure that you are setting yourself and your family up for the best possible future situation. And one of those is to invest more for retirement, right? As we talk about Social Security, whether you maybe can or cannot uh, count on 100% of that benefit. Okay, so if you're thinking maybe you can't, uh, you have to then save more to cover that. Right. So there are, and this is always a good idea. If you're worried about your finances, the, the, the first thing everybody can do is just try to find some more money in the budget, just to just to squeeze out uh, a little bit more savings. It's not necessarily that it's easy to do, but that, that can be the first step we take up. Uh, remember, if, if you're looking for a target percentage to put into your 401k or your 403b or whatever you might have, check and see if your company has a match. If they match, you know, uh, 100% of the first 3%, well, there's your absolute minimum because that's, that's free, free money. money. We always yes. want to get there, right? You're not getting that free money unless you play the play the game. You throw yours in first. Then you can look at things such as uh, you can also fund outside uh, on you know, funding Roth IRAs and, and traditional IRAs. There's more money to be uh, put away out there if you've got uh, some left over. Brian, some you people mentioned, are, hold on, I want to stop you right there because you mentioned a Roth IRA, a Roth 401k, and I think that's a great point because I think there's a lot of people when you look at what's going on in Washington have concerns that tax rates are going to go up in the future, that you're going to be paying more for taxes. And uh, a Roth, a Roth conversion makes a lot of sense. Talk about that quickly. 
Yeah, sure. So, so uh, yeah, we talk about swiping that credit card, and the only way we're going to pay that federal debt uh, someday could result in higher taxes uh, because uh, that's just the way that math works. So if you are concerned about that, then what you might consider is a Roth conversion, which simply makes means you take your pre-tax Roth IRA or 401k dollars, pay taxes on them in current dollars, in 2021, 22 dollars, whenever you do this, and then forevermore they will be uh, tax-free, no capital gains, no income taxes. Yeah, you're locking in today's rates. Here's a Simply Money point. You can't control the decisions that are made in Washington that impact your wallet, but you can control how you save and plan for your future. So did you get a pay raise this year coming up, how you stack up against others and how you can make this worker shortage work for you? You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. To Simply Money tonight, I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Strebeck. We've talked a lot recently about this crazy job market, the fact that so many people are jumping jobs to get better salaries. What does it mean to you, right? What does it mean to you? Have you gotten a raise? Should you be getting one? Joining us tonight with some great perspective on that is Greg McBride. He's a CFA and the chief financial analyst at Bankrate.com. Greg, you guys just did some interesting research looking into pay increases. And what did you guys determine? You know, in, in, you know, really similar to years past, we found that a little bit more than half of workers have not had a pay increase in the last 12 months, 56%. And that's right smack in the middle of the range that we've seen uh, dating back to, to 2016 when we started polling on this question. Uh, the other, uh, you know, the other you know, point of significance, we did see a notable increase in the presence of cost of living increases, more than we've ever seen in any year past. However, that's still the exception rather than the rule. We did see that two-thirds of those getting pay increases it tended to be more targeted. It was somebody who got a promotion, who's taken on new uh, responsibilities, or who just who changed employers and got a better paying job. Those were the primary or predominant avenues uh, to to getting a pay increase. Uh, you know, although that gap uh, has narrowed a bit uh, relative to the cost of living. So, Greg, it sounds like uh, the research that you guys did on this are in, is in line with, with what you would expect during normal kind of pre-pandemic times. But do any of these numbers kind of surprise you considering our current environment coming out of this pandemic with so many people uh, looking around for new jobs and so many opportunities out there? Yeah, I was surprised to see that middle-income Americans uh, were most likely – to report getting a better paying job uh, in the last 12 months, um, about twice as likely as the highest income households in that position. So, you know, what we had noticed is that higher income households were more likely to get a pay raise at the job they currently have, middle income households more likely to have jumped uh, someplace else in order to secure higher earnings. That was, you know, a bit of a surprise and, and that we, we didn't see that as much on, on lower income households as we had expected. You know, given all the talk about higher minimum wage and, you know, the prominent uh, retail uh, employers that have, uh, you know, announced increases in their base rates, uh, we expected that we would see more of that on the lower end of the income spectrum. And, and, you know, so that was a bit of a surprise not to see that show up. 
So do you feel like there's maybe a bit of a disconnect here, right? You've got employers offering more to new employees, right? We've seen retailers and restaurants offering new benefits and and higher, even just starting wages. And yet people who are in their job and have maybe been in that job for several years aren't maybe getting the raises that the new employees are seeing. You know, just anecdotally, we've seen a lot of employers that that's they recognize that fact and because it's such a competitive labor market and it's difficult to replace people what may have started with an increase in the starting wage does make its way through to the more seasoned employees uh, so that there there's not that you know, narrowing of the gap of the you know new employee versus somebody who's been there for five years um, you know you're, you we are seeing more seasoned employees we're starting to see the wages there rise as well again that's more anecdotal that's not specific survey based but uh, you know I think that's a trend that's you know, probably still gathering steam. Okay, so when we talk about uh, raises, you mentioned cost of living raises. Uh, are those the number one reason for raises that we're seeing? Are they performance, merit-based? What, what are we seeing there? The performance-based is still the most prevalent. I mean, the gap has, has narrowed um, with the cost of living increases. We saw more this year than we've seen in any year past. And, you know, that's not surprising given all the talk about inflation. Um, but uh, you know, I think from an employee's perspective, uh, it's still the exception rather than the rule to expect that across the board increase that, you know, they do tend to be performance based. Those that, uh, you know, changed jobs, got a promotion, took on new responsibilities. Uh, those are the predominant ways that, that pay increases are, are coming about. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We're joined by Greg McBride. He's a CFA, Chief Final Analyst at Bankrate.com with some interesting research out recently from Bankrate about raises. And Greg, as you look at that, uh, maybe there's some people listening tonight who are saying, okay, maybe I should ask for a raise. How do you know if you're in a good position to go to your boss? You know, I think it's important. It's incumbent upon us as employees to demonstrate the value that we add uh, to an employer. Uh, it's, you know, as we see with the, you know, the predominant uh, way people are getting pay raises that, you know, it's, it's allotted, it's merit-based, it's performance-based, those kind of things. It's not just for showing up. And so you've got to demonstrate what separates you from the pack. And I think that carries a lot of weight in this market where it's so difficult to replace employees, experienced employees that walk out the door. So if you have unique skills, talent, certifications, and you can demonstrate the value you add to your employer uh, and what separates you from the pack, that puts you in a strong negotiating position, not only with your current employer, but it also you know, puts you in a strong negotiating position if you want to look elsewhere. And Greg, I think this is kind of an uneven labor market right now, meaning there are certain skills uh, that seem to be much more marketable, that empl- uh, that employers are interested in more so than others. Uh, for someone who is looking at perhaps a career change, uh, making a, a new start, where would you direct their attention? Well, I mean, this one's, you know, maybe a little out of my field, but, uh, you know, I, I, you know, we do see, you know, heavy emphasis on, you know, the tech data, uh, you know, that those type of, of, of fields, the employers just can't hire them fast enough, and there's a ton of competition. Um, and that's not 
something that's going to – those aren't business needs that are going to go away overnight, right? Those are have some sustainability to them. So, you know, even young people that are, you know, thinking about, well, which sort of career should I look at, you know, I, looking at, you know, things like data science, uh, you know, the highly technical fields, you know, things like, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, you know, there's still, you know, huge demand, and that's the growth trajectory there, I think, suggests that, that those are going to be popular uh, and high-paying fields for years to come. And Greg, as you look at this research uh, about pay raises, what do you think the number one takeaway should be for American workers right now? Well, one thing we saw, and you know, I, I think this bears pointing out, those making more money now than they were pre-pandemic outnumber those making less by a three-to-one margin. Oh. Now, we hear a lot about the K-shaped consumer recovery where you know, the fortunes of some have improved while the fortunes of others have deteriorated. And, you know, that's very true. We see evidence of it. But it is tended to be more highly skewed uh, toward those that are in a better position from an income standpoint now than they were pre-pandemic. And that's particularly true when we look at uh, employees based on whether you're working full-time or part-time. Full-time employees are four times as likely to be making more now than they were pre-pandemic. Uh, part-time workers, it's more of an even split, which kind of goes back to that point about, you know, it's, employers that, you know, they've, they've got a limited pool for, for pay increases. You know, they tend to be uh, sold more, a little bit more selective about how that gets doled out. Interesting insights tonight on pay increases, this recent research from Bankrate.com and what it means to you. Greg McBride has been joining us. He's a CFA and the chief financial analyst at Bankrate.com. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Brian James, who's in for Steve Sprovac. Holiday shopping will likely be more expensive this year. So should you be looking for buy one, get one deals, flash sales, maybe in order to save? The answer might actually surprise you. That's coming up in three minutes. Facebook's founder, Mark Zuckerberg, making big headlines in the past week. You know, he changed the company's name to Meta. Brian, I, I, I scratched my head about this one because, you know, uh, Facebook's a pretty well-known brand as it is, but Zuckerberg is uh, following through with this one. Yeah, so this is there's a little more to this than just a name change. So what what the metaverse thing is is uh, there's a whole bunch of companies out there who are trying to create alternative reality spaces that we are all going to supposedly live in. So there's a little more than marketing happening here. But uh, speaking of marketing, that's one of the things we wanted to talk about because you might be in a situation yourselves where uh, you might need to reposition yourself, just like Facebook is starting to do. So yeah. we're seeing this out there, the Great Resignation. So we've had uh, we've had a, an enormous amount of people just say, take this job and shove it. I'm done here. I don't want to do this anymore. The quit rate right now is 2.9%. In other words, that's how many people walked away from their jobs, according to the Bureau, Bureau of Labor Statistics. Yeah. So, okay, looking at what Zuckerberg did, because, Brian, you're right, like, there's a lot of talk about this. They're rebranding a company that we all know. And whatever you think about that, as you look at your own personal circumstances, uh, you know, the great resignation, to your point, some people are quitting and looking around and saying, I don't want to be in the retail space anymore. I don't want to be in the restaurant business anymore. So then you have to do a complete rebrand, right? Figure out, okay, how do I put myself out there in a completely different way than I ever have before? Maybe in a completely different 
different industry. Uh, so ask yourself, what, if, if I'm a brand, right, just like a company has a brand, what do I want the Amy Wagner brand to represent? What do I want the Brian James brand to represent, right? Once you have kind of an idea of that, write some things down, kind of figure out what makes sense, what works, what sticks. Then Google yourself. Have you ever Googled yourself, Brian? I have. I have a fairly uh, a fairly general name, so I'm not that. Oh, uh, there's there's a lot of me out there. Some of us are good and some of us are bad. But yes. <laughs> okay. So look at yourself online, and especially from a professional standpoint, what's out there? What what is written about you? Where are you showing up on the internet? That if some potential employer at a new job were to Google you. What would they come up with? You know, and I think that's kind of an eye-opening place to start of, you know, what does the what does the interwebs think about you, right? And once you have that figured out, uh, you kind of move on to, okay, am I lined up with what I need to do, right? What's your plan uh, from there? And, and how do you get to that new job? Maybe, you know, there's some great, since this pandemic started, Brian, I don't know if you've been on LinkedIn, um, but they've got some great training things on there, free stuff, all kinds of uh, webinars that you can sit through trainings uh, and some maybe some suggestions for certifications that you can get, but some great stuff that, that aren't super time consuming. Right. There, and there are other sites out there such as thumbtack.com uh, and, and plenty of others where you can simply put in some kind of a, a field or a, a skill or, or, you know, what, what have you. And you can gain those uh, that, that knowledge and that experience to allow you to do something different. So one of the things I frequently conversations that frequently come up in the process of doing retirement planning for people is, you know, we might go through the process and somebody might realize that they're close. They could retire, but they're going to have to generate some kind of income. Mm-hmm. And so with this, this rebranding conversation makes me think of is. You know, maybe for the balance of your of your working career, maybe five to seven years, you might want to do something, you know, that that uh, is just completely different from your industry. You don't have to stay limited. So what you might do there, I always suggest people go to go to Indeed.com and punch in keywords for anything you've ever thought about. So this is kind of working backwards toward the rebranding. If it's something you're interested in, go punch in some keywords, see what jobs uh, pop up, and then figure out how you would make yourself interesting to those hiring people. Then that way you can back into what you need to do to rebrand yourself, and then maybe have it just uh, kind of kind of a change of scenery for those last five, six, seven years. It does not have to be related to your current experience, to your current industry. You're allowed to think outside the box when it comes to these things. I love that, Brian, and you make a great point. I know a lot of people who, uh, you know, just feel like I've been doing the same thing for years, and while I'm good at it and I know it inside out, it doesn't line up with my passions. And maybe I don't need to make the same paycheck that I have always been making. Maybe I need to make just a fraction of that, but I just still need to bring home some kind of paycheck. So what does that look like? And I think that opens up this whole window of possibility for a lot of people. And in some cases, this pandemic has kind of pushed people in that direction, right? Jobs are downsized and things like that when this whole thing first started. And I saw a lot of people jumping into things where they said, you know what, I maybe was going to do this sometime in the future or thinking about it or I'd always toyed with this. Now I'm just going to jump in and do it. And, and what kind of results have you seen from those investors that you work with who've taken on a new challenge closer to retirement? They're happy people. And by this yeah. time, by the, by the time this discussion comes up, we've already had the discussion of how we're going to make ends meet. We've already determined that you, you maybe you can't retire, but you don't need that salary and that benefits package. We do need some kind of a salary. So the math helps us figure out what's the minimum that I would need to bring in. Then how can I do it? 
And if it works for somebody to bring in that minimum for a little while, then maybe they get the chance to, to kind of change things up a little bit. You also mentioned LinkedIn too, Amy, and that's a great place. We, we all love to talk to talk about ourselves, right? So yes. go find people who do what you're interested in and you will not struggle when you email them and say, hey, I think you're wonderful. Please tell me why you're so wonderful. They will agree with you and they'll be very happy to talk to you <laughs> about how they became so wonderful. That is an awesome point. Here's a simply money point. You know, companies rebrand all of the time. So consider rebranding yourself. If you're maybe burned out on your current career, just take the time to make sure you're doing it the right way. Coming up, if you can't pass a good buy one, get one deal or a flash sale, listen up. We're going to break down how these tactics ultimately affect your wallet and your willpower. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Brian James. Tis the season for holiday shopping. Brian, I know it feels early, but everyone's telling us we have to start shopping early. So as we start looking around at what does that look like, there are a lot of stores that are going to try to draw you in with deals, steals, whatever they want to call them, but they're not always really such a great deal. Yeah, so so the, these kind of tactics are obviously, you know, everybody wants to sell, everybody wants to make a profit. So you see the same kind of tactics in the grocery store, right? For for example, uh, they never put the peanut butter right by the bread. It's always halfway across the store, so you have to walk past a whole bunch of things yep. in, in order to to get what you really need. So these one of the things smart. we see out there is is the the old buy one get one, right? So this can be the obviously, you know, buy one, uh, buy one, you get another one free, which sounds great on paper, but don't remember, you, or don't forget, you weren't in there last week when you saw the regular prices. So you probably have no idea what the normal price is. So a lot of times this can be not so much BOGO, but more like BTARP, buy two at a regular price. This is not quite as wallet friendly as you might think. Yeah, it's so easy, I think, to get sucked in by these signs and these deals. And my kids are always like, mom, this is buy one, get one half off. And I'm like, okay, well, then that's buy like each of them at, at 75% of full cost, right? Like that's not such an awesome deal, uh, especially because we don't know, right, what it was priced just a few weeks ago. If you're going to buy something on Amazon, and I don't know if Amazon has buy one, get one deals, but one website that I love is you just copy and paste whatever the 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 kind of identifying information is for that product off of Amazon's website and go to Camel, Camel, Camel. I have no idea why they call it that. Uh, but you can look at the history going back, you know, a year if you want to. Like, is this really a good deal? Oh, wait, two weeks ago it was 10 bucks cheaper than this. Whatever. That's a great way to inform your holiday shopping. Um, and then free shipping, right? None of us want to pay for any kind of shipping these days. And it's funny because I've, I've heard people saying, well, I bought something extra to get to that threshold where I'm, I got the free shipping. Okay, no. And also, a lot of these companies are just baking in the free shipping into the price of what you're buying anyway. So, uh, you know, buying something for free shipping isn't always the best deal. Right. And I, and I know, you know, we're, we're, I'm a financial advisor, but I'm as human as anybody else, right? When I go shopping on Amazon, I usually want I just need something and it's going to be relatively quick. I always filter for, to, for the free shipping things, for whatever is part of Prime. Just because yeah. it's in my head to do that. I have no idea. There could very well be better deals to be had out there that don't have that on there. So don't another one, that, another game they play is a limited time offers, right? So they're going to pressure you. This is only good for this week or buy it before or only on Black Friday. Exactly. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, FOMO, right? This fear of missing out plays huge into all of this. Don't let that kind of determine what you're going to buy this holiday season. So start, step back, don't look at the deals. Just look at the list. What do you need to buy? Uh, 
and, and get a plan. Yes, if you look around and there's great deals or sales on that thing, fantastic. But don't just buy things because they're on sale. I think we've all probably been victim of that, you know, bought something at some point because you thought it was a good deal, but you didn't really need it. And then track the prices, right? Camel, camel, camel for Amazon. Um, tools like Honey. Uh, you can download Honey onto your browser and it'll tell you, is this a good deal? Are there any coupons out there? That's a great one. I've used that for years now and probably over the course of that time saved myself some pretty major money. So there's some easy things that you can do to make this easy. And then, of course, cash back, if at all possible, um, you know, use a rewards credit card uh, and make sure that you're getting the cash back. So that way you can maybe pay off the bills and not go into debt this holiday season. Some things to keep in mind when you're shopping. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station.